Good morning, friends. Blessed Epiphany, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. I hope your day is going well. Today's been wonderful to me. I just finished uh, coming back from this break. I do a Bible study on Wednesday mornings, and we just started back after a little bit of an Advent and Christmas break. And uh, it's been wonderful. We're opening up the book of Proverbs in my uh, uh, off-the-air Bible study. And uh, it was just nice to get in back into the Word uh, with my fellow uh, uh, Christians there at St. John. I've just been loving it. Now, today on the air, though, we're going to continue our dive into Ephesians with chapter 3. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, reveals the mystery of the gospel that through Jesus Christ, Gentiles are fellow heirs with Jews, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise. That kind of just makes sense to us. We're so far removed from this revelation, but just think about it at a time when the Jews, because of their chosen status, couldn't think of the Gentiles being also called by God. But Paul is a minister of this gospel by God's grace and power, and he explains that through the church, God makes his manifold wisdom known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Well, we're going to find out what that means, too. But at the same time, Paul prays that the Ephesians may have power through God's Spirit to grasp what he calls the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of Christ's love, and to know it, even though it surpasses all knowledge. Dear Saints, thank you for listening, whether it be over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through that KFUO app, or maybe even through your favorite podcasting app or smart speaker. You know what? It doesn't matter to me how you tune in. I'm just glad that you do, and I'm encouraged that you're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We are about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. When you get time, visit lhfmissions.org to learn more about them. And if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can call in 800-730-2727. Or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I regularly get emails from listeners like you. You can also find me on Facebook, so look me up, reach out to me there. Or again, call in that number again, eight six uh, sorry, eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven. I about gave you my cell phone number. That would have been interesting. Anyway, joining us this morning is the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding. He's the pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. You know him. He's a regular contributor to the show. Good morning, Pastor Dieterding. Welcome back. Happy New Year. It's good to be back. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, it's how uh, how's your epiphany good. going? It's going well. It's, uh, it's you know, we just took down the Christmas uh, decorations here this past week, and it really looks bare in the front. But uh, the light of Christ, of course, continues to shine uh, in our hearts, in our in our worship, and, of course, uh, in some of the candles and the special candles that we use up front, even during Epiphany. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, it's a little, little almost bittersweet when the, when the beautiful Christmas decorations come down, we have two big giant trees on each side of mm-hmm. the altar, but I have to say, it's also kind of nice being able to walk around without tripping over wise men and, and mangers <laughs> and Christmas tree lights. So, you know, it's, it's six one way, half a dozen the other. But as you said, what we're really coming for is the light of Christ. And that's always present anytime we're in the word and sacrament. And we pray that he'll be present today as we get into God's word. Brother, start us off in a prayer. Sure. Lord God of heaven, we surely give you thanks again for another uh, another revelation that you give to us through your word this day by the power of your Holy Spirit. We praise you that through Paul and through the Spirit working in and through him that we know something of this mystery of Christ, a mystery that we know had been held back from those previously and now revealed through the words of Paul. There's so much, uh, there's so much rich richness here in these words, and I pray that you can help us fathom uh, that mystery in our lives and what that means for us as your children, that you have made us through your grace and through the faith that we have in our Savior. Be with us, help us to continue to grow, and especially in in these things that even surpass our knowledge. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned earlier at the top of the show that, you know, here Paul is going to be revealing to us this mystery of the gospel. But really, he's already started doing that in the previous chapter. Um, and, and it's also, as we've said before, with other writings or the Bible in general, it's so hard to divide this up into chunks. So even today's text begins with the words, for this reason, I, Paul, etc., so we know that he's building upon an argument that he's been making. I guess for the sake of those who might have missed it yesterday, why don't we take a step back into the end of chapter two and kind of catch folks up. Uh, what is this oneness in Christ that Paul's talking about that he's going to elaborate on today? Yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, when you go back, I mean, I I love, you know, verse 10 comes off of the, the verses that, that remind us that, we are gods because of this gift of faith that he has given us that we did not earn. It doesn't come from us. It's it's totally a God-given gift. And uh, he stresses that. And then I like in verse 10 because he says, for we are his workmanship. You know, that everything that we are in Christ Jesus is a result of his workmanship in our lives because he said we are created in Christ Jesus. And this is all connected, just like you said, you know, this is all connected to the mystery. Uh, and then he gets into um, really the, starting to already lead us to know that there is a oneness here that's going on. It's not just for Israel, but it's also for the people of God. And and it, it talks about the work of Christ, you know. Uh, you, you who are once far off, you've been brought near yeah. by the blood of Christ. Um, yeah, he I love ourself that is, Yeah, he, he himself is our peace. And why is that? Because he's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. I mean, all of this is the work of God, is the work of Christ. It's his workmanship at work in our lives. And, uh, you know, to not see that and to see that uh, the real true good work in our lives is not the work we do, but rather the work God does. And it just shines through us 
in anything that we can possibly do that that is truly good work. Well, and I love how it ends in uh, chapter two. It says, in him, you or y'all, because he's talking to everybody, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I mentioned with our guest from yesterday is that it's a little comforting to know that God isn't expecting that we're already built up perfectly by our own efforts, but rather because of Christ, he's building us up. It's it's a mm-hmm. process, um, not our salvation, but I guess our sanctification, you know, as, as we become uh, more and more inclined because of our faith to cling to Christ and live according to his will, as that is our sanctification, living the Christian life, mm-hmm. that, that that's for a purpose. And so chapter three begins with the kind of the purpose. And, and we're going to read that just through verse six. Here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, yeah, back to Paul. You know, he's in jail, and I'm, I'm kind right. of tempted sometimes to read it a little little bit with some, I guess, some sass in it. Yeah, For this reason, on behalf of you Gentiles, I'm in jail. Right. You know, I, I think part of that comes from, though, just the, the earnestness of St. Paul, who's saying, listen, I'm willing to go to prison over this. I, I'm not just making this up. This is from God. Yeah, I, I think he's an apostle of clarity. You know, I think he's also clarifying what he's been called to do. And, you know, coming to the Gentiles and bringing this mystery of the gospel to them is a major part of what Paul is called to do. And uh, so I think he's he's always defining for those who may not even fully know him, and those who are embracing him, who he is himself in Christ. You know, in this case, uh, you know, he can literally say he's not just a prisoner in a prison, but he's a prisoner for Christ. He takes his situation, mm-hmm. he takes where he's at, and he elaborates and and clearly gives definition to where he is in relationship, even, even to these Gentiles that he's come uh, to preach the gospel to here in Ephesus. Exactly where Paul is and and what time he's in prison, I don't, I don't think we really know. But for the folks at home, it's good to remember that Ephesians is one of four letters that Paul wrote from prison. So we can add mm-hmm. Philippians and Colossians, which mm-hmm. we're going to be covering immediately after we're done with this gospel, or I'm sorry, <laughs> with this letter, but also Philemon he wrote from prison. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, so you know what's interesting too, as I contemplate Paul's life, And here's a guy, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, persecuting the Christians because, you know, they were doing things contrary to the the Jewish religion, uh, or at least as he perceived it. And then when God calls him to be an apostle, he sends him to, in a way, the people that if you were a Hebrew of Hebrews, the last kind of people you want to minister to, almost in a Jonah Ninevite kind of way. Now, now Paul takes it seriously. He, you know, he receives this commission from Christ, but 
I almost see a disciplining from Christ in sending Paul to the Gentiles. Like, why not to the Jews? He knows so much about Jews, but but Paul's picked for the Gentiles. I, I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, well, the comparison with Jonah, I mean, Jonah made that choice on his own. And, you know, God comes to him first and he makes that choice and he takes off. Whereas in Paul's case, you know, uh, God comes to Paul and uh, he actually creates um, a situation that leaves Paul helpless and and also reveals the power of God, you know, that he's blinded, that he's um, he's being spoken to by his Savior about why are you persecuting my church? And uh, so there's quite a bit of a difference, in my mind anyway, of from those two, because mm-hmm. um, here you've got, you do have the guy that would be the least expected. In fact, he wasn't fully embraced and, and warmly embraced by the disciples when they heard about it because um, they were like, what? Because, uh, you know, it always goes back to those passages in Isaiah 55, you know, my ways are not your ways. Um, and, and definitely God uses means that don't make sense to us, right. that we don't understand and uh, that surpass our knowledge really uh, in that sense. But um, yeah, it, there, there's so much here. There's, but I do love the richness of the writing here of him revealing what it is that God is doing within, within us by the power of his spirit as well. Oh, completely. And I think that my comparison to Jonah requires a little bit of looking into the mindset of Paul, which we have we don't know. But I guess I was just imagining that Paul probably wouldn't necessarily, at least from his previous condition, want to go to Gentiles. And yet, here we go. God's sending him to them. But yeah, so he says. Now, that's a good connecting point, because, yeah, why would he want to do that whenever he was so um, on fire uh, to, you know, to, to stomp this out, you know, this this Christianity. Absolutely. And I only bring that up, too, because he backs his own kind of behavior up by explaining that away. It's, it's almost a contrapuntal. Mm-hmm. He says, now, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery mm-hmm. was made known to me by revelation, I, I, I get this sense from Paul that he's making sure people know that this is from God. Now, we, we know he does that with his apostleship all the time at the beginning of the letters. But even here, he's saying the message itself. This isn't, you know, Paul, the former Pharisee who wants to bring a bunch of Gentiles into the religion. God has commissioned me to do this. Not that he doesn't want that. But what I'm saying is the outsiders looking at them, he's making sure they know this is from God. Mm-hmm. He's showing that he's truly uh, God's workmanship, and it's not him. And he, you know, he says that all over the place in all of his letters, you know, that it's not me. It's it's all God and his work. And that's that's definitely front and center in all of what he's writing here in chapter 2 and chapter 3 especially. Now, he uses the phrase, the mystery of Christ, several times, especially in these epistles that we'll be covering over the next uh, month. But here he says, when you read this— you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this is really important. Paul uh, mm-hmm. regularly proclaims against the idea of Gnosticism, special knowledge, secret knowledge, you know, mysteries being, being uh, uh, uncovered by secret wisdom. But here mm-hmm. he talks honestly about, well, 
That doesn't mean there isn't mystery in the world, but he doesn't take credit for somehow discovering the mystery as the Gnostics do. But he readily says, no, this has been revealed by Jesus. It's forever or for my God This is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's really interesting. I mean, you got to, you've got to understand that where he's at, you know, this is a very, um, people from all over the world come here to Ephesus and he knows that. And, you know, what, what message could Paul possibly have? Because a lot of people, and I'm not sure about the Gentiles themselves, you know, I'm not sure how much they were connected to uh, the Jews and understanding their faith and their walk. But if you did understand that, you'd know that the Jews believe that Jesus came for them to bring about a change uh, that would be eternal for them to you know, squelch out all their, uh, their enemies and to reign as king uh, forever. And so Paul's now going to reveal that, no, that's, that's not the case. The case is, is that Christ came not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And so that's mysterious in a sense that where did, where did it say that before? We know, we know now, being on this side of the cross and being on this side of, of the Old New Testament, we know now in the Old Testament what that means, that there's a light to the Gentiles. We understand now more about the connection of all that, that God came to save not just uh, the Jewish people, but also uh, the Gentiles to which Paul is going, because he knows he knows the background. He has been ingrained in the Old Testament. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews, as you put it, because uh, and as he puts it actually, um, and and so he would be able to answer any question that anybody would have about the revelation that he's now been given of the fulfillment of those Old Testament um, prophecies. And let's talk about that, too, because the mystery is, in verse 6, lays it out pretty clearly, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. But to Gentiles, yeah, would they even know what that means? Like, what fellow heirs to what? They, you know, they're not expecting to be heirs, heirs and and, and being, uh, um, you know, uh, I guess uh, the children and chosen people of God. That's Jewish thinking. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's probably tough to explain to a bunch of Gentiles. It's kind of like the problem we have today when we proclaim the gospel that Christ has forgiven your sins. If people don't have any understanding that they have sins or that what sin is or that they should care about them, being forgiven of them doesn't mean a lot. So tell us a little bit about what it means that the Gentiles are heirs. Yeah, so, you know, the Jews believe that they are the ones who are going to inherit this new kingdom uh, and of course, a lot of them were even still thinking in the political realm, you know, because Paul's trying to clarify that too, because that's part of the mystery as well. That, by the way, um, not only are the Jews uh, saved through what Christ has done, but then the Gentiles as well, they join in inheriting. They also are sons and daughters of God, uh, not just the people that God had chosen, uh, you know, centuries before, but. In a number of instances throughout the Old Testament, indicates that it will be both Jews or Israelites and the Gentiles, those who are not connected with the chosen people of God. And so, anybody that would know that, and that's what I was saying earlier, you know, how much of this did the Gentiles that came to hear Paul or were touched by Paul's words, how many of them did know 
something of the Jewish faith, because you're right. I mean, what would they understand by this other than the fact that um, if you're, if you're fellow heirs and they, and they know something of the Jews inheriting, you know, the kingdom of God, then, uh, then they would, then they would understand that. But I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't know how much they actually knew. Um, because, yeah, it would you know, take, it would take a lot of catechesis. I mean, we even have in Galatians, yeah. he spells it out a little bit. You know, he says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. But yeah, you'd have to then explain to them what the promise is, <laughs> what it means to be an heir, exactly. what it means to be in the body. So, so <laughs> this is another example, in my opinion, of this being built together. Paul isn't like writing and expecting them to know all this already. It's about growing in their faith. Um, and they will be partakers of the promise. Plus, this is also for, for Jews as much as it is for Gentiles to remind them of that this is a mystery, but it is God's will. Exactly. And it's all and it's God's it's not just God's will. It's God's making. God has mm-hmm. done this building. And that that's so clearly stated in verse seven there. You know, this gospel that he says that he was made a minister uh, was done because it's according to the gift of God's grace, first of all. Uh, and then it was given to me by the working of his power. You know, he's you'll notice Paul is never taking credit for anything that. Right. Uh, has to do with the power of God and his work in his life, but gives it all, you know, gives all the glory to God. Of course, we also know that Paul was inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit uh, to have that knowledge and that understanding of this mystery of what's going on here in the the fact that Christ came for all people, you know. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, let's add those verses 7 through 13. He writes, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, it's interesting that he ends this section by telling them, you know, don't worry about my conditions. I'm doing this for your glory. But starting at the top again, you've already you have already touched on it. Of this gospel, I was made a, and the word here is diakonos, a servant, mm-hmm. right? A deacon, a minister, according to the gift of God's grace. Yeah, he always talks about his role, his mission, even his abilities as being gifts of God. And, and that's certainly a reminder for us, too. Yeah, and I, and I think I think he um, adds to the mystery that he's revealing some some mysterious things uh, about God. You know how I mean that's pretty mysterious too. I mean, how would they have understood the words that this was according to his eternal purpose? You know, there's one. Um, another one, so that um, through the church, this what what Paul is doing. You know, going going from place to place, establishing. 
churches where the people have gathered and this manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church. How is that done? You know, and it's saying this mystery was hidden for ages in God, the creator of all things. How much of this was, was known by the Gentiles? And these are all mysterious things, I, w- I would think, to them about God connected to this mystery that really um, would probably be better understood by Israelites by the Jews than by those uh, who were Gentile. So the the Jews should have known. In fact, Jesus chastises his own disciples for not knowing some of these things. And he certainly Mm -hmm. chastises the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Like, you know, are you a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? Mm -hmm. But the Gentiles, as you said, would need some catechesis. They don't know these things. Here's what's intriguing about verse 10, though. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known, and we know it's being made known to the whole world, but he says the rulers and the authorities. Now, if he stopped there, we would think, okay, the church's role is to proclaim truth to power, right? Mm-hmm. But then he says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, that raises a question. Is this, as some interpret, speaking of demonic, spiritual enemies of God? And if so, that suggests that even these spiritual forces were kept ignorant of what Christ was coming to do, and the church is even telling them. Or does it mean heavenly places in the sense of lofty rulers? Um, in which case, you know, or and, and as Lutherans, we're tempted to say both because it gets us out of having to really analyze it, and it's probably right. true. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I do think we should look at that. But you know what, folks. I'm going to tease that as as a part for us to uh, a little cliffhanger as we take a break. So we're going to take a break. But in when we come back, let's find out what that rulers and authorities in the heavenly places is all about. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boone. With me today is the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Folks, don't forget that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com or on Facebook with your comments or questions or more. And you can also call in at 1-800-730-2727. Okay, Pastor, before the break, I had teased the idea of, you know, what exactly are we talking about when we say rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? And I, I, I'm going to go on not a very – it's not a very risky limb to be honest. We really connect this to the spiritual 
forces, the enemies of God. We really connect this to demonic activity. Um, but, you know, I, I've heard some people, especially of, of ages or sorry, current or in our current age, you know, I guess they're reflecting on the need for the church to, you know, be influential in the world. And they might want to use something like this to say, well, you know, the church's role is also to make known this to rulers and authorities in the earthly places. Anyway, how, how do you take this? How, how, how is the best way to understand it from your point of view? Yeah, it, it, this is really interesting because there's this, this revelation that Paul has is, is making known this mystery. And we see some layers here of where it's being made known. One is with the Gentiles. And of course, um, that will eventually be also known to those uh, who are among the Jews. And now we're moving to a revelation to those in rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And, you know, I've, I guess I've always understood this to mean that it was revealed to all of those within the heavenly places, the evil and the good, um, thinking mm-hmm. that even it was held, even that it was held from uh, from those closest to him in heaven. Uh, maybe this is this is a revelation that's bigger than we even understand. You know this mystery. Um, so I mean, but yeah, it definitely it definitely includes the those in the uh, in the demonic realm. That's for sure. Yeah, that that's actually very interesting. I hadn't considered that. I I guess I connect it to Ephesians six, right? Of course, we haven't gotten there yet in the study, mm-hmm. but. You know, in 612, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. So he uses that language again, which is why we don't necessarily attribute this to the church's need to speak truth to power. Now, I think the church does do that. There are other places in scripture to find that. But but here, yeah, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So he connects that heavenly places with spiritual forces. I don't think that discounts what you said either, though, that this plan, you know, it makes a lot of sense that God is revealing this in the way that he wants to reveal it. The angelic forces, demonic or otherwise, they it's not like God consults them to figure out what he should do. And mm-hmm. so they get the revelation the same way everybody else does. And that also explains a lot about when Jesus encounters demonic forces, they sometimes they, they know who he is, but they're not they, they seem to not be sure how his coming is going to do anything. Sometimes they act like that they, they don't understand that they're going to be, you know, eternally punished for this or destroyed. They'll say things like, Don't destroy us, throw us in the pigs and stuff like that. Now, I don't want to read too much into it, but I just think it's a fascinating right. phrase that I don't know that we really think about too often. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I got so curious, I actually grabbed a commentary um, from our Concordia commentary series, uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Winger, who actually, uh, this was his commentary. But he, I'd like to share this very quickly, but it's, you know, he Please. says the phrase, the rulers and the authorities is a summary of the fourfold description of spiritual forces that Paul listed in chapter 1, verse 21. Though good angels would be included, the primary reference there was to the hostile forces whom Christ overcame for the sake of the church. In the preceding verse, in verse 20 in chapter 1, Paul had proclaimed that Christ was seated 
in the heavenly places, far above these forces that were now subordinated under his feet, which you were actually referring to as well. In the cosmology of these texts, the heavenlies does not refer to that is the domain of God with his angelic host and the repose of the blessed dead. Rather, this is a multi-layered spiritual realm governed by the God who is over all, but occupied in its lower levels by good and evil forces doing battle in parallel to the war under, underway between God's forces and the devils on this earth. So, yeah, that's that's deep. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's incredibly of... <laughs> helpful. But but his explanation of it is really helpful. Now, now, if I can just simplify it, right, if there's one thing that you need to take away from this at home, though, it is that there really is a spiritual aspect of our creation. There are spiritual forces, good and bad. There are forces that were kept ignorant of Christ's role, and they received the revelation the same way we do. There are forces out there looking to derail you from God's gifts for you. So I think we in this modern age, like if we learn nothing about exactly what he's talking about, I think it's enough to remember that, wow, there is an aspect of reality that is spiritual and unseen, and it is mm-hmm. it does have an effect on our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's within and without. It's all around us. And uh, I think I think God does make that clear in his word throughout. So then he goes on to say, you know, this was all according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, And he talks about boldness and confidence and faith. and, And that certainly is useful. But it's also another opportunity to remember that. Jesus was not plan B, right? This is from eternity. You know, Mm -hmm. he was going to work through the Messiah. Now, I don't think that we can fully get that in our head, but God certainly can because, you know, he's God and we're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was a plan, you know, that's been from eternity. And that's just, that's really hard for us to understand. But he says what has been realized now in Christ Jesus, the internal purpose that Christ came for, uh, for our sake, um, it says now that gives us boldness. We have boldness. We have access with confidence through our faith in him. Again, going back to that gift that God gave, gives to us, that gift of faith uh, that can actually, well, we're going to find it out as we go forward here, but uh, mm-hmm. you know how it's connected to the knowledge that we now have because we couldn't know this on our own. If it wasn't for that gift of faith that God has given us, we would know nothing of what this all means for us and for our sake. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read now through verse 19, but I'm going to start with 13, because even though this is in the previous section, it really sets up mm-hmm. why he's praying. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, yeah, we've already talked about how he says, hey, listen, you know, don't don't get worked up over what I'm suffering because it's for your glory. 
He gives thanks. And then he says, uh, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Mm -hmm. Frankly, some more confusing language. What are the families <laughs> in heaven? We get families on earth. And what does it mean to be named for them? I, how would you explain that? Well, this this actually goes back and connects in verse six to f being fellow heirs. You know, who who inherits uh, in a family? You know, it's the it's the children. It's those who have been actually called into the family of God. And of course, John talks about that in his letters. You know how we have been made part of the family of God, and uh, we have been made children of God, and that's who we are. That's what we are, and that's who we are. And children from the fathers, you know, receive the inheritance. The inheritance, in this case, that was earned for us in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, I look at all these, I look at all these parts, you know, riches of his glory, strengthened with power in your inner parts, you know, dwells in your hearts, grounded in love, rooted. It's, it's like, this is all a mixture, you know, kind of like a, a like a batter, you know, with all the different ingredients that God has and given us through Christ that's actually in our life, making us new, creating us new uh, as he's been all of this, the work of God. I was thinking that same thing as I was reading through all that, too. You know, you just don't get language in the Bible that talks about you having to go and do all this, th this stuff to earn salvation. It's just not there. Mm -mm. I mean, you can dig up, you know, way back in, um, oh, goodness, I, Joshua, I guess, choose this day whom you will serve as mm -hmm. for me and my house will choose. I think that was Joshua. But but mm -hmm. other places, too. You know, there is some language about choosing God, following his ways. But, but we really understand, especially through these, well, this revelation from Paul, that, yeah, God is the one behind everything everything you know we've been rooted and grounded in love because of christ and because of the faith it's just it is it is very fascinating one thing i wanted to say too though about the named i think your the your, your explanation of it i do believe is the intentions here from paul because we do have this language of heirs and and being made parts of the family and of one family i also thought about though you know in in this ancient world Naming something it was tantamount to having control over it. Uh, we know that in Genesis, God, you know, names the things and they come into existence. He speaks them. We know that they had this understanding that if you knew a spirit's name, you could then have influence over that spirit. And so I thought of this, too, in terms of every family in heaven on earth that is all of creation, it, you know, God knows the name, uh, you know, Isaiah 40, you know, he says, mm. he who brings mm -hmm. out their host by number, calling them all by name. So to or, or even even Adam naming the things in the garden. And of course, Adam's mm -hmm. job is to care for them and protect them. So to know that God not only knows our name, but also <laughs> it's it's we're named from him. Right. He's our caretaker. Then then I, I think that's I think that brings great comfort too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. Now, let me look at one more thing here. Okay, so, yeah, so when it says every family, by the way, also, uh, a better translation, or I don't know if it's a better, an alternate translation could be from whom all have fatherhood or from whom all fatherhood. But again, it's that same language of 
He's our creator. He's our protector. He's the one who takes, well, you know, gives us his, his, his gifts in this life. Now, now, mm-hmm. so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, this is verse 17, through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. So we also get indication here that the role of our life, right, this is the appeal, is that because of Christ's presence with us, because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the individual believer even now is rooted and grounded in the love of God. It's something, you know, we have these metaphors. It's agricultural and architectural, right? Rooted and established, rooted and grounded. It's telling us that part of living this Christian life, now that we know that we all are of the same family, and he's speaking to Greeks and, I'm sorry, uh, Hebrews and, and Gentiles, that we have a responsibility. Knowing the love of Christ is to then be filled with wanting to do God's will. I, I think this is where the good works comes in because we talked about good works uh, yesterday. The good works come because we do them in Christ. What, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about that earlier. You know, that, that anything that we do good, you know, is the good that God has already done in us and through us. Um, and so, uh, we can't, we couldn't take credit. And, and even in the, even in those that he's created that have no faith, the good that we see that you and I see that they appear to be doing, um, cause we don't know the spiritual depth of their hearts and their minds, uh, is always good that God, that comes through God because he gave them the gifts. He gave them the, the abilities to do that, which is good. You know, as you were talking, I was looking back on this because I thought there's a little bit of, there's a paradox going on here, actually. When you look at verse 17, you know, you've got this, uh, I'm sorry, you actually you look at 18, it says that you may have strength to comprehend with mm-hmm. all the saints what is, you know, deep, <laughs> basically what's what's high, what's what's immeasurable, you know, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then it goes on at, you know, to say that you might know what? That which surpasses knowledge. So how do we comprehend that which surpasses knowledge? And again, it all goes back to what God is doing in Christ through us, that even those things that are way beyond us, all those limited, I'm I'm sorry, limitless um, thoughts of God, all of those limit limitless, you know, almightiness of God that we cannot begin to even comprehend. Um, You know, he's saying that we can at least grab hold of that, you know, that how we can have that knowledge and that, you know, all of these things surpass our knowledge and, and we still embrace them because we know how big our God is, that he's way beyond our limited minds. It brings to mind – so I watch sometimes on YouTube these like true crime kind of you know like commentators and stuff, and they talk about crimes, mm-hmm. and they, they talk about the, the effects of it, and they bring up the families. And, and I've noticed you know, there's a trend when someone – let's say their, their, their child or loved one is taken from them in an act of violence. Sometimes they'll get out there and they'll react exactly as we think they should react. They'll get behind right. the microphones. They'll they'll cry. They'll scream. They'll demand justice. They they want the head of the guy who did it. And then every now and then you get people up there and they forgive the guy. It's not that they don't want yes. justice, but they forgive him. And you go, 
I just, I mean, Lord, please protect me from ever having to respond to such a thing. But how can they do that? That's kind of what I think of when it says things like the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I mean, if a human parent can do that, and let's be honest, like nine times out of 10 or 99 out of 100, those are people of faith that do that. But it's like, how in the world do we understand how Christ can love us even while we were still sinners? Because we certainly don't act like that. And so he says, may you have the strength to comprehend that very thing, which means not only can we not love the no, sorry, <laughs> can we can we not know the love of Christ without revelation from God? We certainly can't live the love of Christ without revelation from God, and that's where the that comes in at the end of nineteen. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. To be filled with the fullness of God is to share. His will. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all the way back in Ephesians 1. He says, you know, uh, with, talking about the church, which is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ, who's everything, is made complete, so to speak, by the church, who then lives out as his body, showing his love. But we can't do that, except that God calls us to do it. That's, that's the whole point. That's why it surpasses knowledge, which is why what we say that too. Um, may the I mean, the peace of God, which surpasses all knowledge. We say that even in our sermons. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of us close our sermons with that because right. you know, they, they, very easily we can, we can hear something within that message that uh, is way beyond our comprehension of, of, of understanding what God is saying there to us. So uh, I think those are comforting words, actually, because uh, we're praying that or we're, we're asking that you know, God be with us, and His peace be with us, His comfort be with us in Christ Jesus. You know, that we keep Christ because that you know that that's truly part of this whole being filled with the fullness of God is being filled with the fullness of all that God gives to us in Christ. Yeah, it reminds me of that old joke about you know, well, my pastor's sermon is like the the peace of God; it surpasses all understanding. You know, and so we we look and we say. <laughs> Even when we proclaim the word, this isn't something that Phil Boo's coming up with. This is the proclamation of God's word. That is, if I'm faithful. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit, you know, fills in the gaps where I am deficient, well, which is almost all of them. But Paul kind of says the same thing, too. And this is what we've been talking about. He's like, the message that I'm giving isn't from me. This is a revelation from God. And so I, I think that we're really getting the sense in this letter that he's writing to these people, these people who are struggling to live their faith. These aren't theologians. These are regular folks. And he's trying to encourage them that, listen, Christianity, God's will, the way we're supposed to live, it's so contradictory to the rest of the world. It doesn't always make sense to our human reason. Even the things that God reveals, they're by definition miraculous and outside of our experience. But – to know Christ is to be filled with the fullness of all these things, all these questions that you're worried about. God, A, has all the answers safe in his keep, keeping, as Corey Ten Boom once wrote. But secondly, mm-hmm. that, that, you, that you have access to this infinite knowledge through the scriptures, at least that which he, you need to know. Right. And again, it's all God's work. You know, right. this and is not something thing, right? that, yeah, that we 
that we can somehow embrace ourselves and fill ourselves up with the Spirit or with God and His grace. And his, it, it wouldn't even make sense for those of us who know uh, truly our relationship with what Christ has done for us and that God is the one. You know, it's because it's a knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's the one that does the filling, not us. Well, we have two more verses left in this part, this chapter, part of his letter. Um, And it almost sounds like he's wrapping up the letter, but he isn't. He's wrapping up the thought. And he says in verses 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love that. You know, God is Mm -hmm. so outside of our understanding that Paul reminds us that he can do far more than even not only what we ask, but we can't even think of how much God can bless us and do for us in terms of uh, according to his will. I I think that's pretty amazing. It it really is. And, you know, it it just it, it takes me back to, you know, creation when God gave us um all five of our senses that communicate to us everything that we know, everything that we see. Um, and we have a very limited mind. Now, that being said, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear out there with this AI, this artificial intelligence that's going on. And there's some pretty remarkable things actually being done with that technology, a technology that seems to um, actually do things that are way beyond what we're able to do in just split seconds, what we're able to do ourselves. But all of that, even in AI, is part of our limited knowledge, and we're never going to go beyond that which God has given us to function in this world and to be in a relationship with Him. I I really believe that we we have a hard time fathoming, just like Paul is writing here, you know, just how how high, how deep, how the breadth and the length of all that God is in his knowledge is so, so far beyond us that uh, we just we we feel like we're kind of outsmarting ourselves with this kind of technology. And it's maybe in some ways we are. But but at the same time, um, that's no matter how far we think we're advancing intellectually as people. Um, we're not even kind of come near the fringe of this. Yeah, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who once said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? So so until Mm. you Mm. understand a technology, let's say – Let's let's fast forward – sorry, rewind rather – back to 1994, and I'm going into Haiti as a young man. Um, as a teenager, and I'm mm-hmm. going there, and I took, I have, sorry, I borrowed uh, from the <laughs> from the mission to help with what we were doing, a laptop computer, an old junky 386 laptop computer, which was fascinating to the kids. Now, now, don't get me wrong; they didn't think it was magic; they knew it was a computer, but it was so outside their experience. Some of them were fascinated, some of them were afraid, some of them, you know, they just didn't know what it was. In the mm-hmm. same way, we have new technologies. And before we get to know them, they're, 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 they can be very frightening. People can get worked up over it. Um, AI is, at this point, is like a, a sophisticated search engine. No one's afraid of, of Google but, but right. anymore. 
but at the same time, yes, we program things to do things that impress us and amaze us. Um, but at the same time, we're never going to be able to do what God can do. You know, so so even our the extents of our imagination, you think of the most those outlandish sci-fi, you know, God's abilities are beyond even what we can imagine. And frankly, we humans are pretty good at imagining some wild things. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's beautiful. Now, he uses a lot of language here, uh, power, dynamis, um, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. ergon, work. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but then it says Paul, Paul praises the guy who is able, who is able. So now to him who is able, that word is powerful, who has the power, to mm -hmm. dynamino. Uh, so he's like, hey, listen, to the one who has the power more than abundantly than we can ask, according to that power, right? The dynamis that's at work with us. So when you're worried, like, am I going to be able to stand up to people who uh, question the Bible? Am I going to be able to give a response and gentleness and love to those who need to hear about Jesus? What will I know to say? How, how will I know to make the right decisions? God's working in your heart. He's building you up. Through, of course, his very powerful word. To him, Paul says, be the glory. Where? In the church. Not about us. Not about celebrity preachers. Not about fancy programs or, or beautiful buildings even. But it's about Christ's glory. God's glory forever and ever. Brother, anything else about this text you want the people to know before we, before we head home? I, th I think the bottom line is Paul is saying that the most important relationship we can have with God is a relationship that knows where we stand, where he stands and what he's done for us by his grace and that we grab a hold of in faith uh, because it's way beyond uh, any knowledge, anything we can ask for or think, but it's his power at work that's within us that we just need to remember. Oh, very well said, brother. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning. It's the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding. He's the pastor of Zion Lutheran Church down in Compared to here, balmy Fort Myers, Florida. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. It's always a joy, and thank you. And God bless you, and Happy New Year. You too, and to you at home, of course. Tomorrow, we keep on going into Chapter 4. Our guest will be the Reverend Michael Schurman, Pastor of University Lutheran Church from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, in this next chapter, Paul is going to urge the Ephesians to live in unity as members of that one body in Christ he's been telling them about. And he also tells them that God has gifted each believer for building up the church. So what should we do? Well, put off our old selves and put on our new selves in Christ. We're going to talk about that and a lot more. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.